0: The rational part of my brain was saying, you had a close call, you're hooked up to everything, you're in a good hospital, they've got you on blood thinners, you're okay. That was probably 85% of my brain. The other part of my brain was like, I don't want to go to sleep. I don't want to go to sleep and die in my sleep. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Hey, everybody. Dr. Richard here. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping podcast. For today's episode, I'm going to share an interview with conducted by an amazing woman named Michelle Patterson. And she interviewed me this past week about something I I never in a million years thought I would experience. I had a stroke. And so I'm going to talk about how the stroke happened, what I learned from it, and and ways that we can make changes to better balance our time spent with our our loved ones and work and and not cause health problems for ourselves. If you haven't heard of Michelle Patterson, She's going to be on the show later on this summer. I record with her live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And she's got a great show. It's called The Real Share and really phenomenal. So check it out. We'll have the links to that in the notes. But anyway, enjoy this. I hope you learned something from it. And I will see you all soon.
1: Hi there, this is Michelle Patterson with The Real Share, and we are here with The Daily Huddle with Dr. Richard Schuster. You guys know him. He is on every Monday, and he wasn't on these last two weeks, and Dr. Richard had a very, very, very big scare for his family, for himself, and for all of us, and I'm so excited that he is with us today, and we're going to be talking about what he went through, but uh Richard, I'm thrilled that you are here with us.
0: I want to make a clarification. I only missed one episode of the Daily Huddle. (laughs) And it's interesting because really the night this happened was the I went on the Daily Huddle. We rocked it out. And then I told you I had a standing appointment at eight and then I was on a sales call till 930. And I went to bed, fired up. I'm awesome. I'm Killing it, you know, all these things are going great. I did TED talk and everything's like, everything's taking off. And I go to bed, like usual. Um, (laughs) Two in the morning, I wake up and I have never felt it's almost indescribable. uh, I felt restlessness, like I just couldn't settle down. I was thrashing around in the bed like a, a fish out of water a little bit. And so I grabbed my wife's pillow. And I yanked it out from under her head, but she really appreciated. it. And you're sleeping. I'm, I, I, I was sleeping and I was awoken from whatever was going on with me. And I was just a little bit out of it. Um, Emily sits up, looks at me incredulously, and uh, uses profanity to, for, for doing that. To which I just looked at her and somehow I said, I'm sorry. And then she rolled her eyes and went back to bed. And then I went to bed. So when you hear the rest of the story, you realize how, how dangerous and scary that just was based on what was going on with me. A couple hours later, uh, the dog starts barking. And it's my... We're, so we're puppy, got this puppy, and we're crate training him. Poorly, I might add. We're, we're really failing as, as dog parents. So I, I get up stumbling around and I feel really groggy but I had taken 50 milligrams of benadryl the night before cuz my allergies were bad I took those about 11:45 so in my mind I'm calculating half life right so I'm like okay took the benadryl took the benadryl around 11:45 the half life's 4.55 hours and I'm like doing math in my in my head as to if this could be the reason I'm feeling kind of out of it but I dismiss it I make my way down the stairs without killing myself. And I go look at the dog's cage. The dog is crapped all over the cage. And he's jumping at it and he's smearing it on the, the the bars and it's like beyond disgusting. And so I go, okay. You know, it's it's understood that when that happens, unfortunately it's happened more than once, that's a two-person job. So I go back up the stairs and I announce to Emily what has happened. And she sits up really quickly and she goes, you're slurring your words. Wow. And I said, yeah, I am.
1: So can you, let's, let's take a pause for a second. You start speaking. Emily sits up and says, you're slurring your words. Correct. Was it at that moment that you recognized that you were slurring your words or did you
0: know something? I I recognized I was slurring my words, but that can also happen from Benadryl. So I wasn't ready because you know what happened is so inconceivable that I was like, gotta be the Benadryl. That's really weird. So she says, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I can, I'm okay. So go down the stairs again, again, and we have a, Big flight upstairs in our house, and I'm not quite, you know, stable. So I, it's pretty lucky that I didn't take a tumble. But we get get the dog, and collectively get the dog out. And now it's five thirty in the morning, so I want to use the flashlight on my phone, and I because you know I can't see anything, and I can't figure out how to turn my phone on. Can't figure out how to work the cell phone, and it was like that moment in the sixth sense when you finally like all the clues came together and you knew that that kid was a ghost. I was like, Holy crap. Just unstable speech is slurred. I can't figure out how to use myself. I've had a stroke. I have had a stroke and now we're in scramble mode. So we, you know, grab the kids, throw everybody in the car. We tell them that daddy just has a headache. You know, I don't want to scare the kids. And, mm. Um, <clears throat> we go to the hospital. So what time is this at? By the time we're at the hospital, it's 5.50 a.m. So the stroke happened at two, thereabouts. And so three hours has passed. Now, because of COVID restrictions, nobody's allowed in the hospital. And she had the kids. She couldn't have come anyway. But she would have dropped them with with a relative and come right back. Couldn't come in. So I'm in the waiting room. and this is By myself what brings you into the ER today, sir? And I had a stroke. And they look at me and they're like, okay. So they rush me back and then they go, whenever somebody goes into the ER for stroke, much like anything, they basically have a little checklist. (laughs) You can't see it because they've memorized it, but they, they go through symptoms. If you have them or enough of them, they admit you. It's like, if X, then Y. If you don't, out you go, back into the world. So I tell the ER doctor, I'm, I'm, having, stro- I'm ha- having trouble speaking. I have you know, lack of fine motor coordination. I'm telling them all the things going on. And so they have you do... Basically, 90% of the
1: people out there would not be able to articulate
0: right. what they've gone through. And, and, and so this is very interesting as well. So when people have a stroke... If somebody, let's say somebody, and I'm not please don't take this as narcissism, but if somebody is of average intellectual functioning, has average verbal skills, and they have a stroke, they have an ischemic event, by the time they get into the ER, they're absolutely talking like garbage because you basically start at a baseline and then you lose because of the event, and then you know, you your recovery begins from there if somebody starts <clears throat> at a very high level and so you know I, i'm not like holding up a certificate saying how smart i am but my verbal abilities are probably the top 1% of the population and I, I don't mean that to be arrogant it just is that's that's my gift and when you're starting at a higher level you have much more leeway to where you can present as normal he heard the slurring a little bit, but he thought I had a lisp. So he was very dismissive of my speech. It's like you don't have word finding issues. You're formulating your senses. Like, you don't understand. Yes, I do. And it's like, no, you don't. And then he's making me touch your nose and do this and you know, and do this. And uh, you know, he's making me hold out the left arm and hold out the right arm and you know, he can you tickle, he's tickling my toes, he's doing all these things. And he's you know, nope, 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 nope. Don't have that. Don't have that. He and goes
1: meanwhile, and- can I, I'm just being a spouse and, and uh, you know, Eric and I going to more hospital visits than we care to admit this last year. But this is where your wife
0: is. At, so she's outside with the kids or has no, she watched you off? She went home. She went home because they don't, the, there's no universe where they let anybody into the hospital. You could be dying on the table and they will not let you in the building.
1: And I think that's what's so hard right now in that people <clears throat> are bringing their loved ones to the hospital and then yeah. having to leave them yeah. at the hospital. It's yes. I mean, heartbreaking. And for it, you as well. I
0: mean, that's... Yeah, really scary. It, absolutely. And, and so that then... So again, he's, he's already skeptical. Doctor's skeptical. Um, <laughs> he sends me to get a CT scan. And I go off. I do the CT. I come back, and they—you know—it's all digital and fast, right? And they prioritize stroke or heart attack or you know anything that looks like it's an embolic event. They prioritize it. So he's already read it before I'm wheeled back to the ER, and says, "Well, great news. Uh, Read over your CT. Clean. You didn't have a stroke. I'm discharging you." And I looked at him and I said, listen to me very carefully. I said, I'm not a layperson. I'm a doctor. And I'm a clinical psychologist with a subspecialty in neuropsychology. And how I'm I'm, I'm formulating this is like, you know, in, in my mind, and I'm getting angry and I'm trying not to be angry. I said, you know as well as I do that only certain types of stroke show up on a CT. And it wasn't an embolic stroke. It means it could have been an ischemic stroke. Do an MRI. Do an MRI right now. And everybody's looking. Everyone's eyes get really big in the room, right? Because there's techs and the nurses and who talks to doctors like that, right? And they all look at him and they look back at me. And like, there's like, it's like a, an old old West, like a standoff, right? And he rolls his eyes. And I also knew not to say anything because I remember my old mentor in sales taught me whoever... Whoever speaks first is the one that gives position, right? So I didn't say anything. I just stared him in the eye. He rolls his eyes. And he said, all right, I'll do your MRI. So they, no, and he he was sure reiterating they weren't going to find it. Okay. But I got what I wanted. So they wheeled me down to fill out, to get the MRI. And then unlike the CT, which doesn't matter, there's certain protocols they have to take with MRIs. Like if you have any metal in you or you have an intrathecal pain pump or whatever, they they have, so there's a checklist, right? They give you this checklist and it's just yes or no. I could not, the pen like, was all over the page. And my signature looked like some ancient form of writing, like from aliens or something crazy. Like it just was not a signature. Now, the MRI, you know, they did the MRI and the same thing, they rush it. But the, the tech had the presence of mind to take that sheet of paper and march it down to the ER, show the ER doctor. And, you know, and he had that. And then again, by the time they wheeled me back, he's singing a different tune because he's seen my MRI. In fact, it was a stroke right on the, on the right side of the basal ganglia. And so I'm vindicated. You know, because you're fighting, right? Like you're fighting for your life because what, what happens is strokes are like earthquakes and there could be cascades, you know, the little aftershocks, right? And that's a, a very simple, big time simplification of what goes on. But, you know, it's the protocol is you administer blood thinners immediately because if you don't, there could be the next one and the next one. And you know, then you're, you're either, you might die. You might wind up essentially a vegetable, drooling in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, a burden to your loved ones. So, I was fighting for my life, so to speak, you know. And and then when I was vindicated, then the emotions—it's incredible—the flood of emotions how that all shifted, Michelle. Because all of a sudden, I went from—even though I was pretty sure I had one—like you don't know until you know. And so I went from like fighting, God damn it! Yes, it's a stroke. To damn it, oh shit! <laughs> I had a stroke. It's a stroke. And and so now, you know what happens. So uh, great example, and, and and you can relate to this with with your cancer. You break your arm. You're like, okay. So here's what I've got to do. All right. So I'll modify my exercise routine. Take a wrap it in a plastic bag when I take a shower. I'm going to voice dictate my emails. Like you can. With an injury like that, you know the time, or the duration rather, you know what to expect, and you're you're good. But I'm sitting there in that that bed, that hospital bed, and just tears start streaming down my face because I'm thinking about everything that I do. And I'm wondering, am I ever going to be able to work again? Am I ever going to be able to get on stage and be dynamic and Be quick on my feet. Am I ever going to be able to do this podcast be able to keep up with another guest and have an interview? Am I ever going to be able to manage what a what a CEO is supposed to manage and and the responsibility? So all of these things are flying through my head. And I just thought the tears are streaming down my face. And they're just like, you know, and and everybody in the room is still shocked because of the way this went down. And they know, they know, like when they they dodge a malpractice bullet, you know, because everybody's involved, right? Like everybody in that room is involved. So they were super, super nice to me, um, and of course, I'm admitted to the hospital. And I, I will say that the care I received in the hospital inside that neuro ward was, was exceptional. My, my nurse, her name was Charlotte. Which hospital was it? Uh, Northside Hospital here in Atlanta, and uh, you know, I got exceptional care once I was in there. Uh, and I, I also, you know, I, because so much, so many people have. These fears around coronavirus. I was fearful of what what it would be like in a hospital environment, and uh, not anymore. I, I really think like that's probably the safest place in the world because they are so. Let's
1: talk, let's talk about that too. Because yeah. a lot of people getting told, "Hey, you did not have a stroke. Go home." Would have taken that information
0: and said, of- "Absolutely," and they and could be toast. So you know, in a, granted, you know, I, I'm unique in the sense that. I have the expertise, and thank God that I did. Thank God I had my training. Um, I I think that ER doctors are are very overwhelmed, particularly with COVID. The the ER rooms are overwhelmed right now, and they really are just trying to move people through. Not that they're bad people, but they're really trying to move people through quickly. And so if you're listening to this, and, and God forbid you have to go to the ER, don't don't take no for an answer. If you are if there is something wrong with you, whether you have the medical terminology or not to describe it, it's up to them to figure out what that problem is. And just to you know, do a couple of checks and say no isn't good enough. You know, all hospitals have a patient bill of rights. I don't know if you knew that, but you probably no. did. All right, what, well, let's
1: talk about what that. Yeah, is.
0: that's cool. So. They, they actually like have a book like this thick and it's the patient bill of rights. But if you feel at any time that <clears throat> the doctor's not listening to you or you're treated, you know, your treatment is substandard, there's a number to call. There's, you can say, I, you know, I'm, I'm exercising my patient's bill of rights mm-hmm. and, and there's a number to call and they'll get you another doctor. You know, it's, it's no, there's nothing wrong in asking for a second opinion especially first when your gut is telling you that something's wrong. And so, you know, I I just, yeah, there's so many lives and I don't know who knows how often this happens, but probably pretty often. This is probably not an atypical scenario. You know, ischemic strokes happen all the time. They don't show up on CT. Uh, You can, you can imagine that there's probably a lot of them that get missed. So and that's just one one example. There's all sorts of you know medical emergencies. And, and listen, I'm not I'm not trashing doctors. I, I have the, the utmost respect for people who you know they are heroes and they put their lives on the line and expose themselves, especially now. So this is not an, an anti doctor rant. Don't get me wrong, but it, it is a bit of a soapbox with respect to you advocating for yourself because that's what matters.
1: And we talk a lot about that—is owning your wellness, mm-hmm. being your advocate as you go in, and not saying, not settling for for that one answer, and and asking for that second opinion. I think is so 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 critical. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. It truly is. So, you know, that that's, you know, and again, for me, I got really lucky. You know, the guy, you know, the standoff could have gone the other way too, right? He could have like said, I'm the doctor. I you know, I, I outrank you, so to speak. Now, I would have asked for a second opinion, but you know, you're at the mercy of these people. So it is um, important to just stand up for yourself.
1: And thank God that you knew to do that. And <laughs> I think mm-hmm. this is such a great message. And that is get that second, get that third opinion. Mm-hmm. Be okay with that. Even if you don't have the terminology, but you yourself knew, like you said, I mean. Right away, Emily made the comment: "You're slurring your words." Mm -hmm. That in itself is an indicator. Yeah, we're going through. So, what happened at the
0: hospital? They they hook you up to all of the machines. The the first thing they did was they gave me an injection, which was a blood thinner, and they that when they insert into your belly, so that was kind of exciting. (laughs) Um, Then they start then they start tests because. I'm 46 years old. Prior to this moment, I believed I was in the best shape of my adult life, exercising seven days a week. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I've never done drugs. I don't drink alcohol. I eat right. Like the risk factor it didn't make sense. It it didn't make sense at all. And and that's why I like even even like when my wife said your speech is slurred, like, it. It did, my mind didn't go there because it's so preposterous that I could, you know, I was in really good health. So,
1: and didn't one, it even say to you too is it could be COVID nineteen. I mean, was that one yeah? Of the it, that
0: it was one to? of the ones they were they were looking for. So they they did a blood test mm-hmm. uh, to see if I had the antibodies because what is yeah the COVID everybody's focused on the deaths, but what we are starting to learn is that. In young people, it is causing coagulation issues. So people are having strokes. Young people, uh, people are having heart attacks. So like they're, you know, you, for those who are cavalier about it, say oh, it's just like the just like a cold, and I'll get it and I'll be over it. Not really. You know, we're we're learning more and more about the long term effects of this thing. And so that was that was of great concern. But they they did the the COVID rapid test. And that was negative. So in the hospital, they administered that. Um, but even that, the pattern of the stroke didn't really line up with COVID kind of stroke. The COVID kinds of stroke are a little bit more catastrophic. And it's like somebody, it's, it's kind of like a scatter shot inside your brain where there's a whole lot of... Look in 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 your gray matter. Um, That didn't happen with me. Mine was very very focal, and it was just one one area only. So they they considered it, but they you know and of course you know like as this is going on, I'm trying to get real time updates you know but to everybody, and so that was another thing. Like I couldn't use the speech to text because my phone didn't understand me. I would say. Hey, Emily, they're, you know, gonna do this test or that test. And it came out like order a cheese pizza, you know. <laughs> it just was nonsense.
1: I, I in fact I got a couple of your messages. Yeah.
0: They were nonsense, and, right?
1: And I read and going, okay, this is
0: very serious because yeah, like, I like not tell what he's saying. In my mind, it made sense what I sent you, but um, you know, and the other thing is like I knew what letters I wanted to push in the text. But my hand, just my thumb, couldn't get anywhere near it, and so predictive text helped. But it it took me probably two minutes to create the text I sent to you, which would normally take five seconds, right? And 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 the same thing with everybody else. So I'm like trying to give them these updates, and then like there are all these false alarms. Are like, well, you know, the actually even before we had the uh, the CT, like they they. Did some labs on me, and they thought my potassium levels were off. I'm like, oh, okay, well that explains it because if your potassium's out of whack, you know you you can be disoriented and confused. And there's like, but then they centrifuge it and like, nope, your your potassium levels are fine. I'm like, ah, you know. So it, it was a lot of that now, sort were you of thing.
1: Looking up on Google, I mean, did you already know potassium? I'm, for example, did you? Yeah, I
0: know? did. Yes, I did. Okay. I mean, I. I you know, I, I was very fortunate to train where I trained, and I, I knew a lot of this stuff. I don't know everything. Um, nobody does, but like I knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and, and so, like as as they're as they're running, and actually it was cool because you know they put in the system Dr. Schuster and like as the neurologist and the people would come talk to me. They're talking to me, you know, professional to professional, right? And so. You know they're not sugarcoating. They're not using you know fun words to describe things. They're telling me exactly what's going on, which which I appreciated. Um, so then, like, what they they start doing? So they've got me hooked up to all these machines, and then they come and they want to do a swallow study. That's one of the first things they do when people have a stroke because the muscles involved in speech are involved in swallowing as well, and they want to make sure that if they give you food that you're not going to die. Pretty nice of them. So. The swallows, um, so
1: meaning that your capacity to swallow just stops, and so you choke.
0: Correct, because the muscles are weakened or atro- you know essentially like it. it, it basically, what you what you're talking about is a cascade effect in the brain, of which things that are sending signals don't work anymore potentially. So when people, that's why like in everything from the body. The term is contralateral. So my stroke was on the right side. So it was the left side of my body that was affected. My the my left side face was drooping. It was all left side. So the the swallow test does that
1: stay with your face, or then does that go down your throat? Is it goes the, everything left you know, side like, of your entire body?
0: It can. Yes, it can.
1: And so, for you, was it? Did you still have the capacity to move your left arm?
0: Mm-hmm, I did, but. Um, you know it's it's interesting right because you don't you really don't know how how far it goes like you know my balance was a little worse on the left and the right not not to the degree that you know they're they're giving me a walker or a cane or anything but like it was like definitely like i would sway to the left and um it was the left side of my face which was causing me to to choke so like they, the swallow test little cup of water and then they have you take a half a spoon of applesauce and then crunch a graham cracker. And I choked, choked down all of it. I couldn't do it. So they put me on a liquid diet, which sucks. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, then they want to schedule, you know, in a, a follow-up, a thorough follow-up with that. So, you know, basically the first day, they're just keeping you alive. They're they're just making sure that you don't have another one. Um, admittedly. You know, and it's funny what your mind does, right? Because you know, that night, you know, they they tell you, okay, they're gonna come in and check my vitals every four hours. And a lot can happen in four hours. So, you know, I, I the rational part of my brain was saying, You had a close call, you're hooked up to everything, you're in a good hospital, they've got you on blood thinners, you're okay. That was probably eighty-five percent of my brain. The other part of my brain, just like, I don't want to go to sleep. I don't want to go to sleep and die in my sleep. Mm-hmm. And that night I um just you saying that is
1: alarming. I mean, just the words yeah. that you're using because you know that's that's a fact. Yeah. And you yourself have had life and death.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not my first go-around with the Grim Reaper, right? And I, I'm a little tired of it. Think <laughs> we like, we'll take a break after this. Um, you know, so like I, I got my phone and and by this time I have, of course, figured out how to use my phone. Um, but it took, it's still taking me a while to navigate. And I just pulled up this picture that we recently shot. It was like, we had a photo shoot and it was my wife and my two dogs and our puppy. And I just like held that picture like on my cell phone and just like stared at it. It
1: was your wife and two Both, sons my
0: two boys and, and the, the dog. dog yeah and i just stared at that picture and just said just make it through the night you're gonna make it through the night you know and that was what i was focused on and so spoiler alert right like i i made it through the night and you know i i'm resiliency is funny too like different people handle things different way like i when, when there's a big time thing like this. And this is a big time thing. Like I, I give myself a day and I don't like try and be a tough guy and say, oh, I can take it. I mean, this was a big deal. And I was rocked by it big time emotionally. But the next day was kind of like, you know, I of the Tiger, right? And so then I said, okay, I didn't die. The whole rest of the life, my life is ahead of me. And what do I need to do to get back to being me? So at that point, then I became really just intensely focused on getting there, and so I began visualizing myself because I had nothing else to do. I am in a hospital bed, and Find I would just yourself. yeah, I would just close my eyes, and I would visualize seeing myself on stage, vibrant, spontaneous, healed, strong, and just. For hours and hours and hours that I was awesome, and that I was back, and that I was just me, and then they came to take me to do a series of um, intense workup of my heart because they're still they still you know don't know at this point, right and they go so they're they're giving me echocardiograms and they're basically um, what they're doing is they want to see. There's a hole in my heart, or afib, afibulation, and um, so like they're doing. And it's cool to watch it. Like they they inject. Can I ask this too? Is that
1: they're looking for a hole in your heart that would have been there prior,
0: or yeah, 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 prior I that thought. would have been would have been causal, you know? Because they they're looking at because they're you know cardiac issues, and again, doesn't quite fit. But cardiac issues are are, are you know often associated with stroke. So like it's kind of cool. Like I could watch. Um, and it, like, it, it's like a sonogram, right? Of like a baby. So they like, put the thing on your chest and I'm watching them inject this bubble which is going, you know, you could see it go through and it was clean. Like there's no hole in my heart. My heart's strong. My heart's great. Um, you know, and then they, they go and they take me down to do what's called um, a barium swallow study. So it's just like the swallow study I did before, but everything's radioactive, <laughs> so I can watch it, watch it in real time on an X-ray. They give me radioactive applesauce and radioactive like uh, a liquid, and then they're they're watching it to see if structurally those muscles are damaged or you know are still causing a problem. Because again, you could asphyxiate, and no, I passed. I passed, and that was really the first. Now, now that's usually the first thing that comes back with a stroke, but still, like I was like, yes, you know, because it's just eating, being able to eat, was such a big deal, and and not drink from a straw. So, and at that, this time, they still don't know what caused it. No, no,
1: how about uh, now? Do they know what caused it as of today?
0: We're working on it. They have ruled out COVID. They have ruled out. Their, they haven't ruled out my heart completely. But they've like ninety-seven percent ruled that out, and and they're like doing their due diligence, sending me to hematology and and all of these things. Ironically enough, it was the ENT that I had an appointment with for weeks before this all ever happened. That he you know looked around and scoped me. And that was fun. And looking around in my nose, and said to me, "Say, have you ever had a sleep study?" And I said. Yeah, like 10 years ago. They cut everything out of my mouth. It's like I cut out my tonsils and my uvula. It's like a big, giant hole back there. he says, well, and the thing is, as you get older, because I was like 35 when I had that done, he said, as you get older, um, there are parts, structures in the mouth that just naturally like collapse a little bit when you're lying down. And it would be explanatory as to why it's a silent killer because your blood pressure, and my blood pressure is good, like I check, now they're making me check it all the time, like, and it's always like 122 over 87, 117 over 83, like, it's good, right? He said that when you have those moments where there's a a oxygen deprivation from the brain, the blood pressure can spike up like 100 points in that instance, and it's pounding, it's pounding, pounding those vessels on the, in your brain. So, you know, we're going to do a sleep study and figure it out. I, I'll, I'm a good soldier, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever anybody tells me to do. Um, and they've got me on medication now to prevent this from happening again. So I, I'm very confident that I'm going to be okay. Um, but it was crazy. I mean, and, and back to, you know, my my, you know, Rocky montage, you know, recovery montage. Like So I, I rocked that moment with the, the swallow study and I'm feeling good. Um, that's, that's shortly after that I left you the second message. Because I called you on the day of, I think. It was the day yeah. of. And I'm sure it was ridiculous. I'm sure it was ridiculous.
1: I kept it together until after we got off the call. And then I was hysterical. I was like, ah, you know, I mean, because you didn't make sense at all. And that freaked me out. And, you know, and, and again, trying to
0: put the pieces together. It yeah. was scary. So, but then I called you the next day and I sounded, I, I mean, I know I was still disarthric, like I was slurring those words, but I'm pretty sure I made more sense the second time.
1: It was noticeable. I was yeah. really surprised, and then that third call that we had, yeah. you sounded back to normal. I mean, you
0: yeah, I, I recovered very, very quickly. So what what they come and do, you know, there's there's tests that they have to give you, and we always used to joke my, my colleagues and I in graduate school, like, I hope we never have a stroke because we'd be screwed because we know that every test, what, there's what test can they give you that you don't know, right? So as it happens, there's a, a new version of, of a, a memory test that I haven't seen. Thank God, and passed. So that was huge for me too because, like, cognitively, like you, know, you have to be able to remember things, right? So what what if you can't? So cognitively, I passed the test, and then the speech therapist came, and you know they they make you. Repeat words, so it was like a whole bunch of words and uh, repeat them quickly and pick up middle sounds so it's it 's phonetic decoding they 're seeing if you 're able to do that if you're, if you 're able to name, they show you a picture of an object and you have to name it, and if you remember it, I could do all that. great. I passed the speech test, and then the occupational therapist comes and she 's doing all kinds of tests so so a lot of people don 't know what occupational therapy is actually my, my wife is an occupational therapist as it happens but Occupational therapists basically help people after events like this modify their environment so that they can have some sort of semblance of of a reasonable life. Well,
1: then that makes sense, too, when Emily said, okay, you're slurring your words. Because she had worked. I mean, it sounds like she works with patients
0: that had gone through a similar situation. She had. um, Interestingly enough, she does pediatric now. But she's trained in the hospital, so she's been around this sort of thing. A key, and she's done acute care, which are like people that are right after, and you know, they were shot in the back and shot in the spine and are paralyzed or stroked out or something. So she's seen this stuff. And when um, you were driving over to the hospital, uh, did you find
1: yourself just talking because you were surprised at how you sounded? What, what was the conversation like when you were headed over to the hospital?
0: I was mostly saying to her, "I'll be fine. Keep faith. Keep faith. Don't worry. I'm a fighter." Like cause she's got tears streaming down her face. She's trying to keep it together. The kids are in the back seat. You know, it's just I'm trying to alleviate as much stress from her as possible because I know that she's going to lose her shit, right? Yeah. And so that's. I'm my like shit. Just listening to you talk about it, and it's—I mean—it's so scary, scary. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, but but the um, the OT came, and they had me do all kinds of things. Like, can I put socks on? Put socks on. That was great. And um, they're checking my fine motor strength. So this is this is something they sent me home with—a a foam cube. This is like not normal foam. This is like hard mm-hmm. to squeeze, and I like. I had to make a fist and I could do that. So I passed the OT and and the PT came and my balance had improved and I could stand. And I I informed her that I was naturally clumsy. So don't, not to hold that against me, but um, they determined based on the progress I had made after one day that I didn't need any rehabilitative therapy and they sent me home. And so that afternoon I, I got to go home and the, um, you know, the, the lingering effects at that time, I left the hospital where my face had way drooped, like really, like, it was really bad. Um, I still, I could text sort of, and it wasn't taking me three minutes anymore to send a text. It was taking me 40 seconds. Um, my typing, because I wanted to see my baseline. like I just tried to type the sentence, how are you doing? And it was like, bad. Like I just, it was like almost forgotten. Um, but my mind was sharp as a tack. I remembered everything, you know, and um, my speech was improving. So I I just, I went home. Um, What was amazing is the fatigue, and I didn't really feel it in the hospital. But stroke fatigue is very real, and stroke fatigue is indescribable. It's like um, you wake up after eight hours of sleep and you feel like you 've been drugged mm. you you just you just can barely move, and a lot of people that have stroke have that for the rest of their life, so that was terrifying. I was like, "Oh God, is this going to stay yeah, right because you have no idea you' have no idea and so um like I think the first couple of days out of the hospital, I think I slept seventeen hours a day I and mean, I was just, just couldn 't or I'd have like this little window where I'd start to feel like myself again, and I'd get up and walk around and uh, take the dog out for for you know in the front yard or something. and just take it a lot of me. It would just exhaust me. So um, fortunately, that lifted after two, three days. I stopped needing naps, and now I don't at all. Um, so here I am today. Talking to you, I have obviously the ability to communicate. Um, you know, the the only thing that's lingering a little bit is I can't I can't exercise to the degree that I used to. Like I get tired pretty quickly. Like um, Amazon dropped off a bag of dog food; it was like thirty five pounds, which normally I oh, will pick it up and I can take it back and throw it in our house. No big deal. And I, I carried the dog food to the back of the house, and I was wiped. So that's going to take time. You know, it's, it's I've got to regain my stamina. Well, but what I'm I want
1: to walk- do is I want to talk a little bit too, in these last 15 minutes, but I want to talk to you about that third conversation that we had, because I thought that was really, really profound. And that is what you were going to do next. And this mindset of this, this was a wake up call for you. And We don't know when we're going to get called to the other side. We don't. And for you, I mean, you were so adamant to the point where I started crying Mm -hmm. uh, and we were having this conversation. But you said to me, Michelle, you know, I am going to work 25 hours a week. That is my goal is to get my, my time down to 25 hours a week and I want the real share to be part of those hours, um, Mm -hmm. because I, I love what you're up to. I love what you're doing. And it's so, so, so important for us to communicate to people about what happens. Um, but I just, you know, I felt this calming that had come over you of just like, I've got my priorities straight.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'm calling this Richard (laughs) 3.0. Um, I, I realized so again, like the night before my stroke. I that day was a typical day. I got up at five a.m., like I always do. Maybe got five or six hours sleep. I don't know. Worked out hard that morning. Went all day. Stopped, you know, to go just hang out with the kids and feed the kids, and bathe the kids, and read the book and all the things. But the second they were down, whew, I'm on the real share. And then the second I get after that. I'm on that sales call, and I went till nine thirty. So the lie that I told myself was that it's not work if you love what you do. Like we all say that, right? oh, it's it's if you're an entrepreneur and you love what you do, it's not really work. It's taxing. Everything is taxing. it's it may be less taxing than if you hate your job or have a tyrannical boss that you know rules over you. But if you're working from five a m to nine thirty pm. And that's normal. You are going to pay a price. And so I, I fought back to something that was told to me when I was in graduate school. And I was training at Grady Memorial Hospital here in Atlanta. And I was a uh, practicum student, overwhelmed with, you know, like all graduate students are. And with this exam, and we have comps coming up, and how are we going to do it? And the resident who was there just said to me, you know, I'm going to tell you something my mentor said to me. He said, the work always gets done. I said, huh? You know, and I kind of cocked my head like a dog that sort of understands something, but he doesn't totally understand something. And so he went on and he said, you know, you can close the laptop. Whatever work needs to be done will always get done. And so I've really kind of taken that to heart. And I am not going to put in these crazy hours anymore. In fact, you're the only... Because I believe so much in the real share. Uh, I'm you know, willing to you know, extend myself by getting on at 7 o'clock Eastern. You're the only activity I'm going to do in an entire week that's going to be after 4. I'm done. I'm done. And, I, and I'm, I used to schedule like five podcasts back to back to back to back to back. I'm not going to do that anymore. I remember what I told
1: you. I'm like Richard. It is not worth it at
0: all. Mm-hmm. And not
1: no, nothing is worth it. Oh, no, I, mean, I, I, I mean you were like Michelle. I want to be here. This is what I want to do. And and you know I thought okay, let's let's support each other. But I said also if you have any indication that this is you know where you need a night off, uh, that that you will take that.
0: I will. You know, I, I'm I'm listening to my body more than I used to. You know, I used to power through it and, and it's men in particular do this. You know, there's kind of like a badge of of courage or a badge of honor to like work a gazillion hours a week and it's just it, it it becomes draining and the risks are too great. You know, I mean I when I think about God, like my kids have their whole lives ahead of them and I and I could have possibly missed it all and my wife, and like,, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore, and, and I think as an entrepreneur, too, and you know this, like there are so many people pulling you in so many directions, and um, I, I was once told, I don't know who said this, but that if it's not a hell, yes, it's a hell no. And I am being really like, I, I am dropping stuff off my plate, left and right. Well, my and husband it-
1: my husband says this, this is a, a, a good time for this comment, but he says, Michelle, when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. You're saying mm-hmm. no to us. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, that comment really, really resonated with me because it is true. We all have 24 hours and yep. so we choose how we want to spend that.
0: So I, I am choosing to spend it with people that I care about. Engaged in activities that I care about, like real share, of course. And the rest of it, I'm, I'm dropping or phasing out. And I, I am perfectly content with that. I don't believe that you know, if there's a client I don't respond to at 9.30, that I'm going to lose that deal because there's another competitor that's doing something similar and happens to be on their email at night. And if I do, I don't care. I, because it doesn't matter. You know, we, one of the problems, and we were going this way as a society anyhow, because tele, telework was becoming more prevalent, but now it's everywhere because of COVID. The problem is we no longer have a separation between work and home mm. at all. That, you know, it used to be you'd work eight to five or nine to six or whatever it was. But when it was over, it was over, and you'd have that separation. But now, like, yeah, you're expected to work all the time. And there's no breaks. You know, you're expected to put out fires whenever they happen. And we're just kind of dialed in yeah, on the clock, you we're,
1: know? We're holding. I mean, you get that text message through. And if you don't answer it on the
0: spot, why? That's right. And so, you know, when we think about the work week, yeah, you know, it's really interesting, right? This this all came about during the industrial age. You know, we're working hours that were designed for factory workers. You know, and we needn't do that. There's so I, I think you know, and it's if you're an employee, you know, and you're probably thinking, well, easy for you to say. I, there are ways to to make this happen. There are ways that if you're working from home. You could take breaks. You could schedule breaks. You should schedule breaks. I mean, the law says, you know, for for corporations that are over fifty, the federal laws, you know, they mandate that you take breaks, right? Like two fifteen-minute breaks and a thirty-minute break if we're an eight-hour shift. So you need to do that. Get up, get your circulation. You know, get your circ- circulatory system going. Um, you need to de-stress, and we need to meditate more than ever. And I, I think that. You know, a lot of HR, direct, our HR people know. I think that people are starting to, to wake to this, but there's a ton of resources out there that, that show that employees are happier and more productive when they work less. They work less. It sounds counterintuitive, but it-, it Well, they
1: it, work less and they're more productive. That's mm-hmm. what's happening as well. That's and right. I actually, you inspired me this past week. I wasn't feeling good. It was right around one o'clock. I have been going Monday through Friday doing my podcast every single day. Mm -hmm. And I shared this with you and I called Connor, you know, text him at one o'clock in the afternoon and said, you know what? We made an agreement that I would not do my podcast if I didn't want to do it. And this is something that's bringing me joy and I'm doing it because I really believe in it. But if I don't feel good, um, I'm not going to push, push, push through. I'm going to rest, and so I went to sleep at one. We had dinner plans at seven, and I woke up at eight thirty. And I told my husband, "I go, oh my gosh, we overslept. I completely overslept. We had dinner plans at seven, and he goes, Michelle, it's eight thirty in the morning. I had completely slept eighteen hours, and mm-hmm. that was because my body needed it. I needed to take a rest. Yes, and and listen and listen to my body, and I thought you know what, why am I pushing my friends, my family who love me? They don't want me to do that. And I'm not being a superhero by ignoring what my body is communicating to me.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and the signs are there and we sometimes rationalize why we don't have to listen, right? We've all done it. I mean, you're a workaholic. You have been historically, it's right?
1: Feeling a feeling like you've, failed or you're gonna
0: let someone down and worse let yourself down and that is so far from the truth right And, and i would tell myself too like you know that i i rationalize it but well everything i'm doing i'm doing to give my wife and my children the life of their dreams right i want to do this i want to give my wife all these things what good is things if i'm dead you know so It's, um,
1: I can tell you, I mean, knowing your family and knowing how loved you are in our circle and our circle of friends, they want you. They don't want stuff. They want you.
0: Yeah. And and it was really cool, too. um, You know, when I went down, how fast our friends and family rallied and took care of my wife and like her place of work, they all chipped in and got us like $400 worth of Uber Eats and um, just really cool. You know, and um, I mean, I'm I'm happy to not have to use them and and be cooking again. But uh,
1: just just, dad, I think that
0: hearing about your parents, because that's the worst. I know. I I I didn't have the heart to call them from the hospital. I didn't want them to hear me like that. So I, I, you know, my wife did it and they were Totally not state. They just lost their minds, and, and understandably so, right? Because it's impossible, right? Like they talked to me the day before, and said, oh, this is going so good, and this and that, and blah blah blah. Hey, I've got to tell you something. Are you sitting down? Your son's had a stroke. What? Like it's just so crazy, but it happened, you know, and um, and, and I think too, like you know, we're we're all. Calling each other a little bit more, you know and, and that's a good thing, so I, I think you know we we often particularly when we're young, you know, and I still consider myself young, um, my kids tell me I'm really old uh, and you're, you're in your forties you're yeah. young they don't um you know we we don't think about our mortality, and i mean i I you know now almost died twice um and I thought about it, and it, it's interesting how it affected me differently the first time than the second time. But, you know, you can't come out of something like that, like that and not be changed. And I'd like to believe that this was, you know, a shot across the bow from my body, so to speak. Um, and we'll figure it out. You know, I, I've got phenomenal doctors and they're working very hard and ruling out. It's It's like uh, a big detective game, right? Like you rule out everything that it can't be and then what's left is the obvious. So I just feel very grateful, very blessed and I'm, I'm back on mission but I'm just on, on mission in a, in less hours.
1: Wow. I just want to say thank you for sharing that message. I think that so many individuals Hearing that, especially the you know going through and just asking the questions, was this a stroke, Was it not a stroke? I mean all of those things that you know sometimes we simply blow off and say, oh, it's 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 none of that, and just go back to sleep. And for you to share this story, um, you know who knows how many people it's gonna help, you know, and just being able to ask those questions and what would you say richard is something that you um, want to share with our audience i mean what was the main thing that you learned through this process that that you're so grateful
0: for well i'm certainly grateful for my family and friends and i mean i guess that's that's goes without saying i'm i'm grateful that i got a, a slap in the face from the universe uh where no, I. it could have been so bad and I'm okay. And I mean, I had that stroke on June 30th and here I am today. Like if you saw me on the street, you'd have no clue. You'd have no clue. So to be- Well, I
1: had, I mean, I, you were on the, the, you know, the 29th, you were on the show and yeah. you. I
0: couldn't tell at all. There was- There no, were no signs. There were no, it's just, it's just, boom, it's like that. You know, and um you know, so for me to have progressed to where I am essentially in two weeks is remarkable. Uh, my neurologist was pretty floored by my progress, but um you know, so I'm grateful for that. But I, I'm the most grateful for the realization that it's okay to slow down and that I have to. So that's it's actually going to make me an even more present father. I mean, even though I work those hours, I still always would schedule my kids' stuff. You know, it's like I never miss their stuff. Um, but I'm really like thinking about what's it going to be like on Saturday and Sunday when I refuse to schedule anything and just can play with my kids? What's it going to be like on Fridays when I'm done at one? And I could, you know, catch an early dinner or an earlier, excuse me, an early lunch with Emily or do something like go on a date during the day or like these things are exciting to me. And it's kind of like I, I'm learning what what's important, what I should keep and what I should get rid of and or phase out. And, and again, it, it makes me much more selective. So people People come to me all the time to... Oh, you know, would you be an affiliate for this? Or would you help me with that? I'm saying no to everything. I'm saying no to everything right now. And I'm only focused on the few things that I'm doing, my partner, my podcast, and you, really. Mm -hmm. Well, you get to make that
1: decision. I mean, you own your wellness. There's nobody else that's going to come in and really stand up and be an advocate for you like you. Correct. I am, I'm just so thankful. I mean, like I said, I have shared with my tribe this past year has been so difficult. I'm lost some really, really, really close friends, partners. And when you popped up, I was like, okay, I'm not doing this. <laughs> there is no way. I go, he is staying. <laughs> there is absolutely no way I'm doing this. And uh, really enjoyed meeting your business partner, J- JP. He's phenomenal, and uh, you are surrounded by people who love you. And I feel blessed to have you in my life and go on this journey with you. Um, I'm glad that you're okay because, like I said to you, I'm I'm not doing this. No, well,
0: I, I'm not doing it either. So you're stuck with me. So I, I'm I'm sticking around. Which is awesome.
1: Well, we are so excited. You'll be back on every Monday. Uh, I want to say too, as Marsha Martin wanted me to tell you that she cannot wait to be on the show with you. Next
0: yes, week. she sent me the kindest text. I was very happy to hear from
1: oh, her. her. She she loves you, and it's 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 such a synergy. With the Three of us on our call together. So with that, we are going to dance this episode out. In <laughs> 20- <laughs>
0: That's a good one, yes.